Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I'm on the phone with Brian, and this week we're going to be talking about the 2021 horror film, There's Somebody Inside Your House, directed by Patrick Bryce, based on a novel by Stephanie Perkins, and starring Sidney Park and Theodore Pellerin. In this film, a group of high schoolers are attacked by a killer who wears a 3D printout mask of the victim's faces. If you're new to the show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion up front. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll jump into the plot review, uh, hit some spoilers, and give our review of the movie. Brian, I know you caught up on a bunch of 2021 films at the end of last year. Did you watch this one already, or is this the first time? Well, I've never seen a film called There's Somebody Inside Your House, but I just watched There's Someone Inside Your oh, House for the God first time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got the wrong name of this film. <laughs> I kept typing it one way or the other, and I kept having to check as well. It's oh, a man. cumbersome title, kind of. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks thanks for correcting that. Uh, but yeah, I, I hadn't seen this in my 2021 catch-up at the end of the year. I missed this one. Okay. There were, there were like a number of films back in like uh, September, October, November, horror films that like Netflix brought out, and I feel like this was kind of buried in the mix. But uh, I was surprised neither of us had gotten around to seeing this. Was there a reason you were avoiding it? I think it just wasn't on some of the lists I was seeing of, of best horror films that made me focus on it. And there wasn't like specific reasons for me to uh reach out and and like be interested in it um although mm-hmm. it is um directed by patrick bryce who directed creep and creep 2 which i right. did not know that i know that's um, what made me really interested in it like I, I couldn't believe his name was attached to this yeah had i known that i might have been more likely to include it in my like year-end sprint but yeah. uh yeah i just like you said man october the past like two or three years Streaming services have just been dumping a shitload out of, of horror movies in October, and so much of it gets lost. You just can't can't watch it all. So, right, right. Um, yeah, this was a Netflix exclusive in October. So, yeah, I just yeah. missed it. Yeah, kind of flown under the radar. Uh, I don't think it made any end-of-the-year lists, and clearly I, I think it's not like a very highly applauded film. Like uh, It's got a 46% Rotten Tomatoes, 45% Metacritic. So, I, yeah, I can, I can understand, like, no one being in a rush to get out and see this film. Yeah, the user score on Rotten Tomatoes is 17%. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty low. That's terrible, yeah. <laughs> Damn, I thought the critic review was bad. Right? <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, you got a great director here, Patrick Price. You also have some big names attached on the production side, James Wan uh, from, like, The Conjuring Universe, as well as Sean Levy, who did uh, Stranger Things. So some pretty big names attached to this movie, but a pretty mostly unknown young cast. I don't know if you recognize anyone in this movie. Yeah, and James Wan and Sean Levy co-own the Atomic Monster production company, so they did this under the Atomic Monster banner. Right. Um, I didn't really recognize anybody. Uh, Sydney Park, who plays Makani, uh, she's in The Walking Dead and Pretty Little Liars, so... Mm. She's a recognizable face, at least to some people. And the writer, um, Henry Gayden, wrote, who wrote the script, also uh, was involved in the script for DC's Shazam yeah. movie. Right. And this was based, I don't know if you said it, it's based on a 2017 novel by Stephanie Perkins. Right. Yep. Um, but other than that, no huge uh, names associated with it, like as far as actors go, so... Yeah. Yeah, it did kind of, I think it flew under the radar for a lot of people. Right, right, exactly. 
Um, music was done by a guy named Zach Dawes, who is the bassist for The Last Shadow Puppets. I feel like I've heard of that band, but I can't place them. Are, are you, do you know who those guys are? I don't know who that is. The name sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't say I'm familiar with their music. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, um, but yeah, he also scored uh, Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh, what is that? A movie? It's a uh, Shia LaBeouf movie that came out a couple of years ago. It's oh. pretty good. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, I think yeah. he's also a producer, right? And he's he's worked with like Lana Del Rey, Arctic Monkeys, Brian. Sharon Von, Von Etten. Yeah. I think there's a Sharon Von Etten song in this film. Yeah, yeah. Out. The soundtrack to this film is uh is my style. Yeah, uh, same. There's kind of a ongoing joke in the Discord. Spotify suggested a mix to me that I they thought I might like, and it was called Sad Girl Mix. <laughs> That's, that's and it a, made me realize that that's probably like one of my favorite genres of music. <laughs> that's that's like a legit genre in music, sad girl. <laughs> right, I guess so. That's funny. That's funny, man. And uh, Sharon Von Etten and Angel Olsen are both on the soundtrack. I would maybe throw them both in that category. Yeah, okay. So Sad Girl Mix wouldn't include like Taylor Swift? Uh, sure, maybe. Um, I was listening to a lot of FKA Twigs and Mitski. I uh, think that's why Spotify... Oh. Threw me that mix. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the... uh, Phoebe Bridgers. Oh, sure. Yep. Lucy Dacus, maybe? Oh, I've never listened to her. Oh, okay. I feel like she might be in there. But I'll check her out if she's sad, girl. <laughs> I think she'd be right up your alley. <laughs> sure. Uh, that's cool. Um, overall, I um, wanted to ask you, we've seen this trend, I think, in movies, uh, horror films in like the last few years, uh, commenting on social issues, and I think this film squarely does that maybe more so than others that we've seen and goes like, you know, that, that's like a core of the story here is around uh, cancel culture and things, and we'll talk about that in the plot, but what is your overall thoughts around the trend of horror films pushing into those um, categ- those subjects, I guess? Oh, man, I've got a lot of mixed feelings because I just think directors and writers don't know how to make modern horror films with young characters without fully embedding them in today's reality. Like, in everything that they think today's reality means. Mm. You think and I like- don't know that I'm in mm-hmm. enough in touch with reality to, like be a uh, a voice with any sort of authority on this. But yeah. I think the world of social media is very different than the world of physicality and how people actually speak to each other and act. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe people make movies based on how they think kids are acting these days. But I don't really know. And I, I just... We've talked about how... Almost every movie we discuss, we probably talk about politics way more than we ever thought we would, right? <laughs> like, yeah, sure. There's always some sort of like social or political theme underlying horror movies. But now more than ever, it's like text instead of subtext, right? Mm-hmm. It's up front and center in some of these movies. And I was a defender of Black Christmas 2019 because I do think there are these populations of people that are super woke and talk about these things regularly I don't know if they always make the best movie characters. I don't know if every modern film featuring young characters has to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. 
But it's, I don't know, it's a, tr- a slippery slope and it's tricky because maybe that is real and maybe that's just the new normal and I'm old. Yeah. Um, so you, you like wh- that it's being addressed, but you feel like there's a gap between the filmmakers, like a generational gap maybe, and like understanding who these main characters are, like how they would actually behave or act or talk. Possibly, possibly. Or maybe it's just that we haven't, nobody's really done it that well yet. But I'm going to go ahead and spoil some of my review for this movie. I think this movie actually handled it pretty well. Oh, interesting. Like compared yeah. to like other ones like Scream and stuff that we've seen, like some of the new, these newer ones about teenagers? Yeah, I mean, Scream didn't do a terrible job, but I would say like compared to like a Black Christmas 2019, um, I feel like we saw one other one that was just so. Um, Oh, I guess Texas Chainsaw. Texas Chainsaw oh, yeah. Massacre. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so in your face about the commentary. It was ridiculous. Yeah. That um, one kind of felt like a little bit one note in terms of like the depth that it gave to the main characters versus this one. Yeah. But I thought this one, this one in Freaky seemed to like weave it in fairly naturally to their characters. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. But I can tell you disagree, so I'm sure we'll discuss that as we review the film. Uh, no, no, I think when you compare it to those other films, uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, uh, And I, I do get that. Like, There is kind of a, a washing that happens. Uh, but I, I want to say like that has always been the case, because horror movies, like, I don't know, 80-90% of them are always like some young group of co-eds uh, or, or people like getting attacked, and it's usually like directed or written by like someone a generation above them. So wouldn't, you, wouldn't that be like a constant thing through the decades? Of like I think social media has changed that. I think social media has made the decade above young people think they understand how young people talk to each other. Oh, man. And maybe yeah. it really is how young people talk to each other. I don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I'm around either adults or very tiny people, so <laughs> I have no idea what goes on in between. That's true. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like a black hole for me, too. Right, right. So yeah. I just think that social media is a new thing skewing everyone's perception of what humanity is, what people are like. It's making us dislike each other. It's making us associate with people we wouldn't normally associate with Yep. because we share common views on certain hot topics that are spewed about relentlessly on social media. I think it's just nobody really knows each other or understands each other, even though we think we do more than ever. Right, yeah. You think we're more connected than ever, but actually just, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Kind of living in our silos here. Yeah, I mean, everything you do on social media, you're basically like an avatar of yourself. You're a character. Yeah, yep. It, it's not the real you, even if you think it is. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, I think this movie does kind of go a step further in showing that um, nuance of social media. Um, right. Yeah. Overall, though, like taking one step back or just around uh, horror and as, as a genre for social commentary, um, I feel like before Get Out, maybe like 2015, looking back, I don't remember too many horror films that it would be like so blatant, like we're talking about like current issues or current um, uh, challenges in society or, or social struggles or anything. Um, do you feel like we had those before, or is that like more of a modern thing? I think that there were those before, but they just like pulled it off a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm thinking of Candyman, like from 1992 or whenever that was released. Yeah. Uh, right. Tales from the Hood, 1995, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, right. But you're right. Yeah, I mean, there, 
more stuff in the past was it, it was all more lurking under the surface. Right. But. Yeah, a little more subtle, right? Versus like now it's like a major plot point maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Deliverance even was pretty even though that ushered in the like a subgenre of horror that wasn't necessarily wearing its commentary on its sleeve, Deliverance kind of did in some ways. With like the rural versus urban yeah, mentality. right, in the city exploiting the country. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, very, very understated, but it, it was there. Like, I want to say Sounds of the Lambs, too. Like, you have a lot of, like, gender issues in there um, that are, are kind of, like, shown. We're, we're, like, they're showing it, but not, like, saying it, I guess. Uh, so I think that's maybe what's changed with some of these more newer films is it's become more of a centerpiece than, like, a right. background context. Yeah, and I think, like, we are so self-aware as a culture now that we're writing really self-aware characters who are, like, always self-conscious about what they're saying and making sure they're politically correct in the things they say and rolling their eyes when other people don't say politically correct things. And even though that may be a large part of people's day-to-day lives nowadays because all that stuff is so supercharged, Mm -hmm. you would think from some of these movies that that's, like, all modern existence is <laughs> it's like <laughs> a political and social struggle every moment of every day yeah just like policing each other basically right yeah yeah, yeah we're seeing a lot of that in these films um well cool which uh, i'm like all on board with the wokeness but i just don't i don't know if it encompasses every moment of of teenagers lives like we see them written in so many horror films right modern horror films yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I wonder if uh, we're over-indexing. Like, I, I love to see these things re- represented because there's like a reality check to them, but um, I, I do wonder sometimes if we're over-indexing. Do, do you feel like there's responsibility on filmmakers? Because I, I feel like we see elements of this in uh, a lot of the major releases these days, like Halloween Kills, obviously The Last Candyman. Um, I don't know so much in Scream if this was there or not, but do you feel like filmmakers have like an obligation now to highlight these kind of issues in films? And like you would expect to see it in all the films in the future, like this this idea of like wokeness or it's like take it or leave it. I don't think they do have an obligation to. I think that filmmakers, I wouldn't say they're obligated to have a theme to their work, but that's usually what makes a movie truly interesting and gives the movie some longevity. So Mm -hmm. I would say I expect a good movie to have a theme, whether that be kind of like well-worn theme that's still kind of fun and tried and true or a more thought-provoking, unusual theme, be that as it's made. I, I just, I think it's better when it's under the surface. Some some movies have made it text and it works, but I think maybe filmmakers, I'd go so far to say as they have a obligation to point towards something in their film, but not an obligation to directly address things in the text of their film, and, and namely in the dialogue. Sure, right, right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that's was like the smart way to go, like hint towards something or have it like in the subtext versus uh, always needing to make it the focus. Right, right. Um, but, I mean, yeah, and that's what's like, it, it is like kind of baked into people's heads who make movies, right? That you're kind of making the internal external and you've got to find a way to visually do that mm-hmm. you don't always have to do it through words like yeah and i think right. that's maybe the big mistake some modern filmmakers are making when they tackle films that star a young cast sure it's the whole like show versus tell thing yeah right yeah 
Uh, but one thing I, I think filmmakers might have responsibility for, which I'm happy to see happening more, is like the more diverse cast. And like I feel like this film definitely going into it, you've got like a very diverse cast, and we're seeing that a lot um, with yeah Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Scream, and stuff. So I, I, I like that that that's being more because I, I feel like horror before this, like yeah, I don't know before like 2010s or so, could tended to be like very like white characters, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And I think that's the. That's the path forward. It's just like doing the right thing instead of writing characters who talk about doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, cool. Uh, you got any other background on this film? Not really, man. How about you? There's not too much data out there on this one. No, yeah. It's it's, it's pretty uh, thin. Um, you got a know-how connection for us? I do. As always, our friend Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us, and Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, so swing by if you're in Northeast Ohio for some great drinks and food. Alex says There's Someone Inside Your House is a slasher film about a senior transfer student from Hawaii who finds herself in the center of gruesome murder cases in her newly acquainted town of Osborne, Nebraska. The film premiered in September 2021 at Fantastic Fest, the acclaimed annual film festival in Austin, Texas. Also debuting were the, la- were the films Last Night in Soho, Lamb, and the found footage horror anthology VHS 94. This film is a continuation of the VHS franchise and is comprised of six film segments. The first segment is titled Holy Hell, directed by filmmaker and artist Jennifer Reeder. Reeder was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, um, that is awesome. Yeah, I can't believe this was at South by Southwest with those films. Like those, those were like such big films of the last year. Yeah, uh, yeah, really, they really were. So yeah, Lamb VHS. I still haven't seen Lamb. I haven't either. Yeah, I need to get around to seeing that. Yeah, I feel like I will eventually, but I'm not not chomping at the bit. Right. That that's like an A24 film. Yeah, I feel like I. I can stand to uh, take a little break from A24 for a while. <laughs> I know. It's been a minute since we've seen some of their movies. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Uh, you want to dive into the plot? Uh, hit, hit some of the spoilers and do a review? Let's do it. All right. Sounds good. Hey, but uh, before we do that, do you mind if we take a quick break? I, I just want to grab a quick snack uh, downstairs before we uh, do our plot review. Sure, buddy. Yeah. All right. Great. I'll be right back. Hey, Brian, sorry about that. I'm back. Yeah, did you get some snacks? Oh, yeah, I did. You know, I'm, I'm on this diet, though, so uh, I, I, I got these hot Cheetos, uh, but instead of eating them, I just licked them and put them back in the bag. Uh, <laughs> makes, makes for a fun surprise for my wife when she reaches in there. You ever, you ever nice. do that? <laughs> no, I've, you know, I have this, like, weird thing with manufactured foods like that where I can tell it's pointing to a taste of something that's not what I'm eating. Like, like an artificial flavor? Yeah, like this is cheese, but my body is not receiving cheese, and I feel very <laughs> strange about it. You feel like you're being lied to or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if I licked it, it would really exacerbate that effect. Oh, man. Damn. So what are you, like, just not eating processed food anymore or something? I try not to eat very much processed food. I'll, I'll pat myself on the back publicly in front of all you people. So you've never tried, like, the XXX Hot Cheetos? No, that kind of stuff just seems like plastic like oh, i'm eating man. plastic damn m&ms 
Oh, I, I like I like some M and M's. Yeah, but yeah. I try not to. I try not to have junk food in the house, but it, yeah. it it ends up in here sometimes. I mean, I'm not squeaky clean, but yeah, yeah, good food is like super artificial. Doesn't necessarily appeal to me. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't know why I said M and M's. Those are pretty official, not artificial, right? Oh no, they're pretty damn artificial. They're they're pretty fake. What? That's real chocolate. Many dyes. I mean, there's chocolate in there for sure, but just like all that stuff, it has like a thousand ingredients. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Wow, good for you, man. That that's awesome. Um, all yeah. right. Well, should, should we jab into the plot here? I am awesome. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> all right. Uh, so the movie kicks off with this high school jock uh, football player dude coming home to an empty house hours before a game. Uh, he spots a timer on the kitchen table that he's pretty surprised to see since no one's home, but he dismisses it and ends up taking a nap. When he wakes up, the house is dark and the timer is now next to his bed. He gets ready to leave the house, but his truck has gone missing. So he goes to call the police, but he notices that someone has taped photos of him all around the house of him brutally hazing the students. Uh, and it's funny because we just talked about hazing in the last episode, right? Oh, yeah, right? We're yeah. hazing a hazing back-to-back thing. Yeah, I know. It's a real theme. Um, so he follows the this trail of photos that's showing him like beating up some dude um, into this closet. In the closet, he gets attacked by this masked assailant who is wearing a mask that resembles the jock. Um, it's like a 3D print of that. And then he's stabbed to death after being cut in the heel. Meanwhile, everyone's at the football game, and the game is going on, and they receive this video message of this guy uh, beating up uh, or hazing this dude from the photos. Uh, what, what did you think of this opening? I really loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fun, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun, and uh, wearing a mask that looks like the person you're killing is pretty wild. That's yeah. something new. <laughs> that kind of messes with you, right? Yeah, right? I've never seen it before. And like this dude, get, he's like... I can't remember what he says, but he's like, me? I, I don't know. Yeah. It's I think he's not like, quite as obvious as that, but he's like super thrown off for a minute before he's stabbed to death. Like, why am I looking at myself? Yeah. Cause I think he's trying to like deny that like uh, it's him in those photos and he's like, this isn't. And then he sees like the guy and he's like, oh, me. Oh, right. Uh, like, it's not me. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I thought this was cool. It was suspenseful. It was fun and creepy. It, it just felt like very classic slasher not classic like maybe classic modern or even classic postmodern slasher like yeah hearkening back to like a scream or i know what you did last summer type thing totally yeah great like opening hook and a good mix of like some comedy thrown in uh like about his sister licking the chips or right. like uh keeping his protein before the game <laughs> yeah yeah they didn't really explicitly say what his friend was telling him to do before the game to relieve stress but <laughs> yeah <laughs> had to deal with your body's protein <laughs> i remember that discussion happening in like my social circles around like physical like sports and stuff like that like really? you don't masturbate before a game because you got to keep all that that energy is that true this was like the first time i'd heard that it is is that true it's probably not true but it's definitely something i've heard before huh okay interesting um and then like yeah he offers to venmo the killer uh <laughs> yeah yeah he gets killed, so. yeah some funny uh back and forths there right um, so the credits roll, and in, in the credits, it's revealed that like someone is taking photos of classmates and making 3D masks, uh, or using like a 3D printer to print out masks that resemble classmates. 
So I, I think that, yeah, I, I didn't pick up on that the first time I watched this, but going back, I saw that was in there. Did, did you pick up on that? I did, and it was actually really well done because while they were rolling the credits, they had audio playing of various phone calls in the town and students at the high school calling each other, discussing what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of gossiping about it. Gossiping about it, and then like the last line we hear someone say on the phone to another friend is, I wonder if it'll happen again, and that happens at the same time that we see another mask oh. come out of the 3D printer. Oh, that's um, clever. Implying yeah. that, like, yeah, it will. So I thought it was really clever, a really clever uh, credit sequence. That's cool. Man, I always zone out in credit sequences. I always assume, like, okay, I don't have to pay attention here. So I, I feel like I'm, I'm missing things by not paying close attention there. I'm going to, next movie we review, I'm going to tell you something nuts happened during the credits <laughs> and you'll just believe. Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I always zone out when there's like words on the screen. Uh, <laughs> The next day yeah, exactly. So the next day at school, we meet our main character, uh, Makani, and I think that's how you say her name, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And and we meet her group of friends. Her friend group is comprised of a very diverse mix of friends. You've got um, one who's non-binary. You have uh, a, a, a black student. You have. Um, who else? Oh, uh, someone of Hispanic origin. Uh, you have like the one white kid. Did this kind of feel like a forced diversity checklist to you? You know, I don't think it did. It didn't to me. Like I realized it was a diverse cast, but it didn't necessarily feel that forced to me for some reason. Oh, okay, okay. I, th- I think looking back, I felt like there's like one of uh, everyone. Like you, there's there's no like two of anyone or something. And I, I was wondering like how, how realistic is that, especially in a place like Kansas, that you'd have like. Well, so- you were just touting the uh, the fact that you feel it's the director's duty to cast a, a more diverse cast. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. But you're saying it's just like yeah, very like handpicked, clear, clearly. Yeah, that's what they're trying to do. It felt it felt a little forced, and and like we're supposed to believe this is like in the middle of Kansas that you've got like this level of diversity at a table. But I mean, yeah, it's it's great to see like this young, fresh talent, and like uh, I I love seeing like a uh, uh, that that kind of diversity there. But just like so interesting that um that it's almost like they try to pick like someone from uh like all these different groups basically, right? Right. Yeah. Was it Kansas or was it Nebraska? Oh, I thought it was like Osborne, Kansas. Was it Nebraska? It's so, Osborne, Nebraska. Oh, Osborne, Nebraska. Okay. Ah, oh, then that's more believable then, right? I have no idea. Nebraska doesn't strike me as a diverse place, but maybe it is. No, I, just, I know just <laughs> as much about Nebraska as I know about young adults yeah. in modern times. <laughs> All right, same, same. Yeah, no, I, I don't expect Nebraska is very uh, diverse. So uh, it's just it's just funny that you have this cast here who's like, yeah, pr- pretty uh, diverse group of people. Sure, I get it. Yeah, it's it's very deliberately checking all the boxes. Yeah, yep. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it's, it's it's good and, and nice to have that here. Um, we learned that Makani lives with her grandmother, who has this habit of sleepwalking at night. We also learned that Makani used to date this kid named Ollie, who is this bit a bit of an outcast dude at, at the high school, and that she has the secret past that none of her friends are aware of, something to do with the fire that like we see her imagining from time to time. Uh, hey, what did you think of the grandmother and the sleepwalking? I know there was a kind of a scary scene around that. Did that get you at all? Yeah, some of that, I mean, that was really there in the plot to just kind of make things suspenseful. Um, 
but I, I kind of dug it. It made for some suspenseful moments. Yeah, that like nighttime of her walking through the house, seeing the dishes all over the place. You're not sure if it's the killer or not, and then you see it's the grandmother right. hanging out there. So yeah, it's, it's a little. It adds a level of creepiness to it. Sure. Um, the next day, one of their classmates, Katie, is attacked while she's at a church, but again by an assailant who is wearing a mask that looks like her. During the attack, uh, in the background, a podcast plays that Katie had recorded that reveals that she is this anti-liberal racist. So she gets stabbed to death in this confession booth. What did you think of this scene? I thought it was really cool. I mean, it was like pretty suspenseful. And then that the way he finally like does her in by he like goes to stab her and the knife gets stuck in the confessional. <laughs> so then he breaks his arm through the other side of the confessional and shoves her face into the knife that's stuck there in the wall. Yeah, that was really cool. I like it was that. a cool kill, and it was this movie's pretty brutal for just being kind of like a fun light slasher. I know, and like I think the original book is kind of like a young adult novel, so I, I definitely feel like they took this up a notch in the in in how they uh, showed like these kills. All right, yeah, yeah, it's I cool. liked it. What about you? Me too. Yeah, I I loved it, and uh, I loved how like she's trying to like defend uh, the podcast by saying she was uh, being oh like uh, she was like trolling them or making fun of it or something. Just like trying to like back her way out of like some of the comments that she made, uh, so yeah, I, I liked it. It was, it was a good build up and good kill. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, cool. So one of Makani's friends, Zach, throws the secret party at his house where everyone who comes has to share their secrets with each other. So we get some friends kind of opening up with one another and revealing things about themselves uh, at this party. One of her friends named Rodrigo who we find out is secretly addicted to fentanyl, I think. Is that right? Yeah, some sort of pills, painkillers. Yeah. He sees a trail of pills on the ground and follows it, and suddenly the lights go out, and the killer pops up wearing a mask of him. And everyone gets a text message that's exposing Rodrigo and his addiction to these painkillers. And Rodrigo gets attacked, and I think he's tased by the assailant, who then cuts his throat out. Again, a pretty gruesome kill. What did you think of this yeah. one? This one was cool. There was kind of like a moment where he's in a ventilation scene getting sca- stabbed from all angles. Yeah. And that was cool and tense. It maybe fizzled out too quickly, um, but it was fun. Yeah. Uh, th- yeah, I-, I-, I thought it was a fun one too, and I like that vent uh, scene. It seemed a little unrealistic that like this killer could just enter a party and like kill this dude without like the all the other kids like where'd, where'd they all go right and they all just ran away and it's like he's right there you could just like gang rush him but it's kind of yeah. believable too because who's gonna be like all right i'm leading the pack i'm like running at this dude i know is probably yeah. carrying a knife or a gun and about to kill somebody sure yeah i, I guess so I ex- part of me believes it part of you yeah <laughs> i i guess i expected when rodrigo got out like from the vent like landed outside there would have been like a bunch of other kids like outside the house that would have seen the kill go down but i guess by then maybe they must have fled the house and the property yeah you would think I, yeah that was a little shaky but but that's teen slashers in general sure at, uh, at the party scene 
what did you think of the fact that like you know we had two kills so far one was a guy who was bullying someone uh or like you know going overboard on the hazing the other was uh, a girl who you know obviously had like a a problematic podcast this one though you had someone who was addicted to painkillers which i feel like is isn't like uh something that we as a society can be like villainizing at this point did you feel like this might have been a little off tone at all here I think that in general, like going around killing people with secrets was a little bit cliche. Um, yeah, I mean, this secret is definitely different than the others. It's not hurting anybody. It's not hateful. It's just a personal flaw. So it is a little strange, but I think it makes sense with the ending, which when we get to that part. Okay. Um, I also want to point out there was a scene where the character who was killed confesses he has a crush on Alex and she confesses she has one on him and they're hooking up in the kitchen and some like guy knocks on the door just because he wants chips and then she gives him some chips and he goes oh salt and vinegar and she <laughs> oh, yells yeah. fuck up and I just <laughs> wanted to point that out because salt and vinegar chips are one snack that I really love and really? I don't feel are artificial it's just like potatoes salt and vinegar so I'll go to town on those oh okay that feels like a true <laughs> thing to you yeah <laughs> yeah, I mean, that feels like a whole food to me. Nice. <laughs> and I'll eat way too much of those. I can't even keep them in the house. Man, that's like the worst flavor of chips. Salt and vinegar? Any potato chip, like salt and vinegar or just plain, I will just, if it's around me, I'll like eat the whole bag and feel gross. Uh, what do you prefer over a salt and vinegar versus sour cream? Oh, I don't like sour cream, actually. Uh, oh, I would man. rather just... I'm not wild about sour cream in general, but again, if you put a sour cream flavor, it's like my body is expecting to get sour cream, so I'd rather just dip in sour cream. Wow. Okay, yeah. So you picked the salt and vinegar. Wow, that's crazy, man. I didn't think salt and vinegar was a popular flavor at all. I really enjoy it. It makes your mouth feel weird. Yeah, yeah. Damn, it's been a long time since I've had that. I'll, I'll have to try one soon. Uh, all right. Good well, hey, know. buddy, when we uh, meet for our HMC Summit in... Uh, May or June, we'll we'll get some of those Cheetos and we'll get some salt and vinegar chips. <laughs> That's good. We'll have a taste off. You really think your salt and vinegar chips are gonna outtaste uh, Triple X hot Cheetos? Uh, no, but when you hate them, I'll be able to eat all the salt and vinegar chips. <laughs> so we'll get what we want, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good deal. Um, so the next day, Ollie, who's the social outcast, as we mentioned before, takes Makani out for a drive to this cornfield. There she becomes suspicious of him when she finds a taser gun in his car and realizes that Ollie has also run a background check and knows who she is from her past. So she gets convinced that he's the killer and she runs back home. That night, while she's at home by herself, the killer breaks into her home and puts up photos of this burn victim all over her house before attacking her with the taser gun. Again, he's wearing a mask that looks like Makani. The killer tries to light her on fire, but fortunately her friend comes barging into the door and the killer escapes. Makani now believes that killer is Ollie, or like the Ollie is the killer. And we learn that Makani's secret is that she accidentally pushed a sorority sister into a fire during a hazing incident at her old school, and that's why she's moved here and changed her last name to kind of run away from that past. Uh, what did you think of this reveal? Was this like a big shock to you or anything? No, I mean, it was kind of hinted at. Um, we saw enough pieces of McConaughey's nightmares to kind of piece that together. Also, it wasn't a sorority sister. It was a teammate. A teammate. Um, oh, right. Oh, for some reason, I thought they were rushing for a sorority. 
Everything. Yeah, that's in college. Yeah. Oh, good point. But good point. I uh, I can't remember what sport she played, but yeah, she was <laughs> she was on varsity and she was being hazed by some of the other varsity players, and she pushed one of them, and yeah, yeah. accidental firefall. And, and one of her friends, like their reactions, like, "Oh, you played you played sports or something?" Like that's like what they're surprised about. <laughs> yeah. <in the> <laughs> yeah, you had some good like one liners uh, randomly peppered through here. Right, right. It was kind of a clever movie. Yeah. Uh, so Ollie gets arrested, but he's released pretty quickly. Makani is waiting around at the high school one day and runs inside when she sees Ollie in the parking lot. Inside, she runs into one of her friends, but the killer shows up and stabs her friend. And we see Ollie running to save her in the background. So now we know that Ollie isn't uh, one of the killers, at least, or a killer. Right. Um. Yeah, this is a pretty anticlimactic kill, right? Or did was this scary for you? Yeah, I thought that was a little bit anticlimactic. Yeah. Uh, so that evening, there's a big festival going on at this corn maze, and the killer shows up there, lights the place on fire. Makani and Ollie show up to save their friend. They got a call from their friend, Zach, who is trapped in there. So they find the killer who is facing off with Zach's dad, who from earlier in the film we know is kind of a Nazi sympathizer, perhaps, or a collector of Nazi goods. He's a collector of Nazi memorabilia, and just like everyone in the town hates him. He owns, I think he has like a factory farm type situation and owns a ton of land. And yeah, he basically buys everybody's cheap land when they're in a like really difficult situation and kind of takes advantage of people. Yeah, he's like a big public enemy. And I, I feel like the finger has kind of been pointed to him a few times around potential killers in this. Right, right, right. Um, but the killer here stabs and kills Zach's dad. Then the killer takes off their masks, and it turns out it's Zach, Makani's friend. Uh, Zach then stabs Ollie and holds Makani at knife point and explains... You're going to have to help me out here, because I'm not sure I followed this, but did he do this because he was the victim of all the bullying that was happening to him because of all of his privilege? Is that your... <laughs> yeah, it was a little unclear. Like, Makani has a line where she's like, you think having privilege makes you the victim? What kind of fucked up logic is that? Yeah. Um, so I think he was like, everybody hates me and I, like makes me feel like I should be ashamed of my dad and of like being rich, but all of you have problems. Mm-hmm. And why aren't, why isn't anybody like shedding light on your problems? Um, and this is where, (laughs) so I think the movie's commentary as a whole is a little on the nose and not necessarily done well back to our conversation about wokeness earlier. Mm -hmm. I think the characters themselves and their dialogue is done pretty well. Oh, like this is how a high school student would explain it? No, not necessarily oh. at this part, but I think throughout the film when the friends are talking to each other. Like the non-binary character, I think the only reason we know she's non-binary is because some like homecoming queen valedictorian type who we're meant to hate is like, we're all like so proud of you and you're so brave and the whole table of our main characters is just like cringing over it. Um, so I feel like that was a moment where it kind of showed how like that was just who these characters were, and there wasn't a whole lot of talk about it, except from a character who you're like cringing over for even like mentioning it. Um, so I appreciated that part, but now the commentary here on this killer is basically commentary about 
white men who are like crying victim um, in our modern times these days. And then like McConaughey's line, like you think having privilege makes you the victim. I feel like it's kind of talking about white dudes on social media who were like, hey, like I was born white to a like good family. Why should I feel like a dick because of it? Um, so I think that's what the commentary is about here, which is pretty on the nose to me, which is slightly disappointing because I thought the rest of the movie handled, I don't know, modern discourse fairly well, modern social issues. Sure. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. And, and, uh, if that is the sentiment that, I mean, that, that is a real sentiment that like you hear about, right. In, in modern society. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This idea of uh, white privilege and like kind of feeling under attack because you have it or something. Right. Like you hear like a lot of white privilege and it's suddenly become like you feel like a dick for even being a white man. Yeah. Like not saying I do, but that is the view of a lot of white dudes on the Internet. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so that that's what you think like he was referring to here and like why he went around killing people is he felt... Well, how, how does killing people solve for that, though? Right. I mean, that kind of is where the movie loses me a little bit. I don't know why he's killing people. I think he's just pissed. I, and I think it's commentary on white dudes being like mass shooters, too, maybe even. Like, every time there's any kind of mass shooting these days, you just assume it's some white guy. Um, often there's serious mental health issues involved so I don't mean to brush that off like it's nothing but I think it's commentary on violent white men who feel like they're not important Hmm. in society anymore Sure, and he's not saying that explicitly but his character is saying everyone's mad at me for being born rich like that I should be ashamed of who I am and ashamed of my dad and I think that's a stand-in for white men saying, like, I should, I'm not important in society or anymore. Or why, why am I treated like I'm a jerk just because I'm a white man? But, sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. No, that, that's a very uh, realistic sentiment. And uh, we heard that. Uh, yeah. It's just, I, I guess yeah, I would have expected him to go after like people who targeted him versus like it's almost like uh, the killer in the beginning of this film is like on this righteous path of like going after people who are like yeah either bullies or like racists or whatever and right. so to wind up as like this dude uh, feeling like he's been targeted because of his white privilege it just seems like a little bit of a disconnect yeah right I think he then that is a weird pivot that the film makes but it's kind of on point with him just being like all of you have peop- like reasons that make you like screwed up or like oh, yeah. less of a good human than me, quote unquote good. Like, so sure. why am I treated like I'm less than? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And he's the one like we do see getting bullied in terms of like his car being uh, vandalized earlier in the film and stuff. Sure. Yeah. Right. Someone spray paints his car. Right. Right. Interesting. So, so uh, di- oh yeah, did you see this coming that he was the killer? Or were you surprised? I did. About halfway through the movie, I kind of realized that that was the situation. Really? Like after the party or before the party? Um, I think probably around the time of the party, once we realized 
what kind of house he lived in and how wealthy he must have been. I was like, okay, well, this is probably the only person who has resources <laughs> to make to yeah. 3D print these masks that look exactly like the people he's going to kill. Yeah, good call. Good point. <laughs> wow, yeah, I, I didn't pick up on it. I, I think when he uh, they get the phone call when they're driving to the cornfield and it's him like saying, oh, we're all stuck in here and like the phone hangs up. That's kind of where I, I, I got suspicious of him. Right, but right. Good, good catch uh, early on though. Yeah, but it is weird because, I mean, these are his friends, supposedly, so he's just kind of a psychopath. Yeah, right, which he takes issue with, like, the term. I think someone calls him... Someone, someone calls, calls him, him a sociopath, and he's like, you didn't even get the terminology right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, eventually Makani is able to kill him, and you're right, like, she kind of calls him out on, like, that's ridiculous that you're using your privilege as an excuse to do this or something. Um, so she stabs and kills him. Uh, and then the movie ends with her giving a graduation speech and calling the friend that she had accidentally pushed into the fire uh, and kind of trying to make amends, I assume. What did you think of this film? I actually really liked it. I thought it was a successful attempt to make a movie like the, what Scream or... I'm not saying this movie is as good as Scream. Hmm. But like I'd lump it into like Scream and uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer urban legend the faculty type films like for this generation it was just the teenage slasher a lot of fun suspenseful and brutal uh it's not nearly as good as those some of those films or may not have the longevity but Mm -hmm. i thought it was a lot of fun and pretty well done uh what did you think uh no i i agree man like i I think all the kills were a lot of fun great balance of humor some smart writing in there uh great cast and uh, yeah, re- really well made. Also, the music, the score was pretty awesome. Did, did you like the score? I thought so too. Yeah, the Zach uh, Zach Dawes. It sounded a, a little bit like the It Follows score, actually. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of that too, like kind of heavy synthy kind of stuff. Right, right. I mean, nothing can touch the score to It Follows, but it was a similar mood. Sure. Uh, what about like a weak points? I think the the finale was a weak point. I I thought it was pretty improbable that they would drive into this burning cornfield and expect to have a plan and be able to navigate their way through it and then guide other people out and make a mistake or make an escape once they had like resolved the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the confrontation with Zach was a little underwhelming. I thought killing people with secrets was kind of cliche and his... Reasoning felt like on-the-nose woke commentary when I thought the movie was actually navigating that element fairly well up until that point. Uh, yeah, sure. Those were my low points, but um, actually one high point on the commentary was I think maybe there was a little bit of commentary here too on how kids can't have secrets nowadays due to the omnipresence of cell phones, cameras, social, social media, media yeah. Google. Right. What what have you. Can't hide anything um, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a cool thing to, t- to touch upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was kind of cool to expose that for sure. Yeah. I kind of used modern technology well and, and seemed to get that right. Yeah. Uh, very I liked all the performances. I feel like it was generally just fun, suspenseful, and brutal. Like everything mm-hmm. a sp- slasher should be to me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Great production. I agree with you on the on the on the third act. I feel like the third act and like the um, the reveal of who the killer is and his explanation uh, that kind of whiffed a little bit for me um, in tying like the rest of the movie together. But like the everything up until then, I thought was really well done. 
Um, what about character development? I feel like that might have been lacking a bit, but um, what do you think? Like, did we get enough of that in terms of like the other characters outside of Makani or even with Makani herself? I think so. I mean, the other characters weren't as fleshed out as I would have liked them to be, but I think between Makani and her relationship with Ali and Ali's past, we got enough development hmm. um, that for my taste. Yeah, I really appreciated the relationship between those two. Like, she obviously, uh, I think they spend time showing, like, how she's, like, avoiding him in school, even though they've, like, hooked up. And then uh, that whole talk about, like, how he represents someone that, like, she can be free and open with, but she doesn't always want to be that way, and she's kind of running from something. So uh, that that felt like a nice, like, kind of deep character moment uh, and yeah. reveal about her. I thought Zach the killer was a pretty underdeveloped character, like... So when you find out it's him, it's like, oh, it's just the white dude who's kind of been hanging around the whole time. Like, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't like a... <gasps> yeah. Yeah, So exactly. I would have, wouldn't have minded a little bit more background on him. Um, yeah. I just thought they could have done something a little bit different with his character, but... Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the friends were kind of underplayed here. Like, did you get enough of Rodrigo or was it... Alex, her, her other friend, or Darby, like, did I, I? I feel like we didn't get too much from those characters outside of like some interactions in the beginning and at the party. We didn't, but when you make like an hour and a half slasher movie with a cast of like six or seven kids, I, I think you got to kind of focus up. Sure, yeah, that's true. So what I about, was cool with it. Uh, what did you think of all? Like, I feel like there are a lot of red hearings in here. You had uh, the sleepwalking grandmother, the Uber driver, the Nazi father. Did that oh all... yeah, the Uber driver was a good red herring. <laughs> yeah, uh, did these like uh, did did you appreciate these? Or did you feel like these were like kind of unresolved, uh, just things out out there that they, they never really circled back on? I appreciated them. I just felt like they were part of the formula. That scream, I know what you did last summer vibe. Yeah. I also liked that it was really a lot like those movies without necessarily being a self aware commentary on those movies or like yeah. knowing that it's a slasher and winking to the audience that this is up postmodern slasher it was just pretty straightforward yeah it felt like kind of original to you yeah yeah original in its unabashed straightforwardness about what it was <laughs> yeah <laughs> like every movie it feels like after scream i know what you did last summer Basically, like a post two thousand slasher feels like it has to have like an angle or a trick up its sleeve mm-hmm uh, and this one doesn't, and I, I, I think it owns that and just moves forward with the movie that it is. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and I, I feel like the runtime is pretty good. The production feels very tight, and uh, yeah, pre- pretty sharp, uh, s- smart, like a uh, movie overall. So, you want to jump to the rating then? Let's do it. All right. Well, h- how many uh, teammates getting pushed into the fire would you give this one? I give this like a soft four teammates being pushed into the fire. Like, I'm somewhere in between a three and a half and a four. I'd probably give it a 3.75, but I tend to avoid quarter scores, so I'm going four. And I know I'm probably annoying some listeners with the movies I've been going high and going low on lately, but I feel like I'm rating every movie for what it is. Like, uh, a piece of cheesecake isn't the same as, like, steak and potatoes, but I still... A cheesecake that's a five isn't a full meal, but for for the cheesecake, 
being a great cheesecake, I have to give it a five. Does this make sense? I'm hungry. Yeah. We've talked a lot about chips. Salt vinegar chips, now cheesecake and steak. What do you got going on over there? I'm not saying like this movie has the same weight or significance to perhaps a movie we recently discussed that I didn't give a great strong rating to, but for what it is, like a throwaway teen slasher in modern times, I, I give it a four. I think it did that well. Cool. I, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm at three and a half, and I, I think it's just I had a lot of issues with like the third act and the reveal. Um, I, I would have liked to see a, a lot better ending for everything that was set up here and the statement that this movie was trying to make. Um, when you say uh, the you know what you would compare this film to, I feel like are you trying to distance this uh, in the score you're giving this from like a movie like Scream potentially, like the new Scream film? Um, no, not necessarily. I, I'm, I guess I'm spoiling my review for Raw right now. Like, oh, okay. I mm-hmm. feel like there's probably a, at least a few listeners who are like shouting at me for giving this a four and giving Raw a two and a half. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, but yeah, I was expecting like, I knew what Raw was. I was a, a critically acclaimed, like big thematic important movie. And I, I, yeah, I wasn't connecting with it. This one is not those things. You know, I can't pretend this is as important or significant or should be on, like, lists and touted well into the future for what it is. But for throwing something on the TV and for this telling you that, hey, this is a comedic slasher film, it it's a four for a comedic slasher film. Yeah, a whole different genre than Raw. But yeah. I, I do feel like it is comparable to uh, Scream. Uh, which, you know, I, I think we were kind of lower on what were we like at like a three or three and a half, maybe. Yeah. I think I gave Scream a three and a half. Yeah. So it's no, a- I think I made it given it a three. I, I think the, uh, key thing from this is I thought the acting while no specific performance was like, wow, it was all very competent. And I thought yeah. the lead's performance in Scream was straight up bad. Yeah. Bad performance. And I like the characters in this one way more than like that new Scream film. I agree, yes. Uh, way, yeah. way more realistic and, uh, yeah, great great diversity too, which is great. Yeah, the way the characters all interacted felt more real in this and just felt like a movie. I could see someone, probably younger than us, becoming pretty attached to this movie and, like, having it be one of their faves. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. But I, I feel like we're going to get a lot of flack for giving this movie a rating above Scream, which I think is more uh, comparable, right? And yeah, I think so. I think so. But I, yeah, I, I would stand by that. That performance really uh, dragged the movie down. I didn't like some of the choices they made with the legacy characters in Scream. And the just meta-ness on meta-ness, there's only so far they can go with that. And <laughs> it was yeah. just refreshing to see this movie just be what it was. Yeah, right. Without like, And I got to... my sad girl music in. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> That's what was, that was like bumps things up a point or two. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, uh, oh, wh- why do you think the, the reviews are so bad on this film? I don't know, man. I mean, I'm not surprised that it, I don't expect it to be like 75% or anything across the board, but 17% from users, like, it's not that bad. Like, obviously, I like it. Like, what was their big beef? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I could see, like, the critic scores of 46. That's more understandable to me. Yeah. Even that, though, it kind of feels low, given, like, how, like, slashers can get kind of monotonous, or, like, they're obviously, like, very terrible ones out there, but this one, there was, like, a freshness to it, and, like, each of the kills were done really well, 
So I'm, I'm surprised to even see that 46%. That seems kind of low, given like Scream was what, like in the 60s, 50s, 60s? Yeah, something around there. And uh, one thing I will say of comparing this to Scream, Cre- Scream did, uh, Five Cream was brutal, but the kills lacked suspense to me. Yeah. This one had more suspense. Totally. Yeah, each each kill like, kind of had a great build up to it. Yeah. And, and good humor. So yeah, yeah, really, really surprised to see those ratings out there. I didn't expect that we would both uh, like this one so much. Same, same. Actually, I at first I was like, oh man, I'm going to be wondering why Ashwin picked this, but uh, I'm <laughs> glad you did. It was a good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, yeah, I was relatively surprised. Um, and, cool to uh, see yeah. more of Patrick Bryce's work, too. I mean, this is such a pivot from Creep and Creep 2, which are found footage movies. Like, this is right. a big, full-scale, straight-up film, and uh, mm-hmm. he did well, I think. I think so. And I think he's going to do a Creep 3 after this, right? Oh, is he? Okay. Sounds like that's on the books. Cool. And yeah, I think any flaws in the movie were the script itself. Like, I think it was directed really well. Yeah. Yeah, it was directed very well. Uh, Great. Well, anything else on it? That's all I got. All right. Well, that is it for our review on There's Someone Inside the House. (laughs) (laughs) Not somebody. (laughs) Um, If you enjoyed our review, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find the show. And we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join our discussion, you can find social links on horrormovieclub.com or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We're going to announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord where you can join us and other horror fans. You can find that link on our websites. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart, so check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, I guess if you have a friend that has a 3D printer, maybe be wary of them because they might be printing off faces of your friends and killing them. (laughs) I mean, doing anything with faces of your friends is something to be wary of. (laughs) I guess, yeah. That's such a great use of a 3D printer. Just like put them on a bunch of dummies and sit them around in your living room and laugh. Yeah. Oh my God. That'd be awesome. Just feed them salt (laughs) and vinegar chips. That was so funny. Yeah. Great joke. (laughs) More salt and vinegar chips? Yeah. None for you. Okay. I'll have (laughs) it.